uh, where we left off last Wednesday. And uh, before we start that, let me remind you that um, <clears throat> I had mentioned last Wednesday night that we would like for all of our church, all of our church group, including our teens, and I've worked that out with Brother Dave already, to go through our gifting process again to find out what your gifting is. Most of you have been through that, and actually it's recommended that you go through that about every two years because your, your gifting can change with your age, experiences, circumstances, and so on. And um, so we'll be doing that again. Uh, I want to, to change the date that we announced to do that. Um, camp meeting is, is, is tripping me up pretty bad this year, and it's our 100th camp meeting at the campground, and all of you are welcome to go. And uh, uh, please go if you can. But uh, we're going to pass out the part that you fill out. Uh, we'll give you that the Wednesday night before camp meeting starts and the Sunday before camp meeting starts. The Wednesday night after camp meeting is when we will have everyone in here, including the teen group. They'll be with us that night, and we'll go through that process again. I'm, I'm asking you kindly tonight, don't say, well, I've done that before. I don't need to do it again. Yes, you do. As I just said, it's recommended you do that. Some churches do it every year, and, uh, but at least every two years. And so I'm asking everyone to show support and interest, and uh, it may surprise you. If you know what your giftings are from the last time, it may surprise you to know how that may have changed. For those of you that's never been through it, uh, it's usually a pretty good eye-opener for the people that go through it the first time. So uh, please remember that. It'll be, we will go through that and, and with you the Wednesday night after camp meeting. And uh, so we'll remind you of it as it keeps getting a little bit closer. Let me pick up tonight from where we left off last Wednesday night in Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. The Bible said, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. Uh, we're talking to you tonight about finding your ministry. And uh, we're wanting to grow our, our, our ministry people, our leadership people. We're wanting to grow that group. And uh, there's, there's things that you can contribute that you may be surprised. Um, <clears throat> God gave Bezalel an ability of artistic craftsmanship so that he could help build the tabernacle of God. It was not a spiritual gift, but it was a natural gift.
you tonight that uh, the folks that help us keep our building clean, the folks that help us keep our chair straight, that's natural ability, it's natural willingness, but it is used for a spiritual purpose. I overheard Brother Troy and Brother Dave tonight uh, talking about uh, setting up a time to do a jambalaya dinner this summer uh, for a Shoes for Christ fundraiser. We've done that for the past couple of years in a row. It's a natural ability he has to prepare jambalaya, and he does a phenomenal job at it. But it is used for a spiritual purpose. Does everybody understand that? I want to show you tonight there's a difference between physical, natural gifting and spiritual gifting. I don't want you to confuse this with the spiritual gifts that we talked about a little bit last Wednesday night. So there are those right now in our church, lots of people that do things through the conduit of natural gifting, but it's used for a spiritual purpose. I find it interesting that in the Old Testament, Pharaoh over Egypt, the Pharaoh over Egypt, was used by God to place Joseph in second command over Egypt. God used a man that, that for, for our, in our terminology, was not even a Christian. Uh, biblical uh, reference would classify him as a heathen. He didn't believe in the God of, of Israel, Jehovah God. He didn't believe in him, but God used that man. I find it interesting that God used Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Uh, we call it the book of Daniel, but it's Nebuchadnezzar's dream that goes hand in hand with the book of Revelation in the New Testament. God using men with natural abilities, with natural gifting, but for spiritual purposes. So all throughout the Bible, God has used those who did, uh, who did not uh, necessarily believe in him, but he used them to accomplish his plan. So we all have been given God-given abilities. We all have God-given abilities, and you may call it natural gifting. You may call it just natural talent that you was born with, but even though it's natural, God can still use it for spiritual purposes. It's very interesting to me that musical talent is not listed as a spiritual gift in the Bible. It's as important and as much as by as music goes from one cover to the Bible of the Bible to the other cover, musicians, people that can sing, what have you, it was never considered spiritual or, or, or spiritual gifting. It was a natural gift used for spiritual purposes. And our services would be a whole lot less spiritual if we did not have musicians actively involved in it. And everybody said amen. Well, I mean, where would we be in our relationship with God without the complement of music, singers, and musicians? It's not necessarily a spiritual gift or a spiritual talent. Does everybody understand? I'm being very repetitive. You can have a natural gift that can be used for spiritual purposes. Uh, God has given others the ability to make money. This is scriptural in Deuteronomy 8.18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is to this day. So God enables people to be wealthy, 
to minister and to bless the church. A natural ability used for spiritual purposes. So it would seem to many that producing wealth would be one of the least spiritual talents. But that's not what God said. He said, I've given you that ability. Uh, I've given you that power to earn your wealth and it's to be used uh, for a spiritual purpose first. So there's people in the kingdom today that, that don't do anything else but give to the kingdom. This ministry is one of the most necessary ministries in the church, and we might as well all accept the idea that it takes money to operate. It does. And um, our church is very giving, and we appreciate it so very much more than you know. So don't, I don't want anyone here tonight to underestimate your natural abilities. Your natural abilities were given to you by God to be used for a spiritual purpose first. All of this revolves around this concept that the Bible teaches. All revolves around what Jesus said when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom. You use all of your gifting, all of your talent for the kingdom first, and then you use the balance of it for uh, wealth, for income, for employment, and so on. So one of the most common excuses people give for not getting involved in a ministry at church is that they just don't have any abilities to offer. And I mentioned some of this last Wednesday night. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's a proven fact that the average person possesses from 500 to 700 skills. There's things that people can do. It's amazing that there's functions we do at work and there's functions we do around our home But if that same function is called for at church, we want to be a little bit resistant and say, well, I can't do that. Well, why? You do it at home and you do it on your job, uh, whatever the the similarity would be. So why can't you do that at church? People oftentimes draw a line between all of the rest of their life and church. Church is a completely different thing. When the Bible wanted church to be, the kingdom of God to be, what your life revolved around and everything else falls into place. So I hope you're understanding tonight that all of you, everyone here tonight, has abilities. The sad part of it is that some of us do do not really know what they are. We're not really aware of what our abilities are, may I say even our specific abilities. So we're going to do the gifting thing in a few weeks, and it will tell you uh, what your abilities are. I don't want y'all to get sidetracked either on another tangent. When I talk about gifting, I'm not talking about the gifted program like East Baton Rouge Parish Schools do, where you're in this special class and you're this genius that can add 483,282 and 10,968 together and just like that. I'm not talking about that kind of gifting. There's, there's abilities that every one of us, there's people here tonight that says, I don't have any ability, but you have kids. That makes me nervous. If you don't have any ability, then what are you doing with kids? Who's raising them? So you see, you have more ability. There's people here tonight that say, I don't have any ability, but you're married. Well, how, how's that happening then? If, you, if you're just this thing sitting there, then how is it that you're able to function in life? So you have ability. It's just a matter of learning what that is. It's the process of skill identification And it's a process of matching our ability with the right ministry. So there's people here tonight who have abilities. 
that are needed right now at Grace who are not being used possibly because you're not aware of what your abilities are. So as pastor, I can't always recognize every skill or ability that's represented here, but uh, there are times when I see something that just reinforces a feeling that I've had about a person, and so at that point I may come to you and mention a certain area of ministry to you. I mentioned this last Wednesday, and I want to mention it again. The church culture that I grew up in was if there was a need in the church and you were available, it didn't really matter if your gifting had anything to do with that or not. We just need you to go do that and go do it. And I have learned through the years that one of the sources of misery people have with going to church is when their ministry is not in alignment with their ability. So you're asking people to do what they truly can't do or they're not really comfortable doing it. And I've done things before we went in ministry. I've done things in church and, and did it for a long time. I never did like it, was never comfortable with it. I just did it because I was asked, but my heart really wasn't in it. So I really probably didn't do a fair job. And so that's what we're trying to steer away from here at Grace. I want folks to enjoy your ministry at Grace no matter what it is. And I want to assure everybody, if you have a ministry at Grace, it's valuable to Grace. You don't have to be behind the pulpit all the time to have a valuable ministry at Grace. As Sister Lawrence, I shared this with you last Wednesday night, she wrote me a, a beautiful card and said, all I can do is pray and fast. Well, that's not an easy thing. That's not a cheap thing. That's a most needful thing. Amen. And uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous ministry. So another area that will help you find your ministry is by knowing your personality. And the Bible says that God made us in his image. Well, he must have a lot of personalities then. You'll need to understand the context of that scripture. We'll teach on that another time. But it's either that or he loves variety. And I want to say this very clearly and I want everyone to listen. And I'm going to prove it biblically in just a moment. But God made introverts. God made extroverts. God made thinkers. He made people with feelers, a strong emotional base. He made leaders, and he made followers. Whatever personality you are, God made you that way for a purpose. It's up to you to find that purpose. Does everybody understand? We live in a very challenging society, and there's a huge part of it that I'm about, and there's another part of it that I'm not so much about. But it seems like more and more our school systems are taking our kids and putting them in categories and, and brackets and you know, you've been diagnosed with this and you've been diagnosed with that and what have you. And sometimes the presentation makes that child feel inferior and feels them less adequate. Uh, somebody shared with me just a few days ago that their child walked up to them and said, I know I'm different. Okay, if you know you're different, then who told you that? And if someone told you that, then let me ask why. Why would you want to point out someone's differences 
to make them feel lesser. Everybody understand? Here at Grace, no matter what your personality type is, there's a ministry for you through that personality. Let me prove it. <clears throat> now, people smarter than me can study the, the life of Peter in the New Testament. They say he was a sanguine. That's a personality type that is just cheerfully optimistic. Just, I'm not that. I'll just go ahead and say. Paul, people that study psychology and what have you, with the information we have with Paul, they believe that he was chloric, showing or tending to show anger or irritation quickly. We might call that hot-headed in our society. He had a bunch of buttons, and it didn't take much to push him and set him off. Uh, Thomas was melancholy, feeling or making somebody feel a thoughtful or gentle sadness when you were around him. Does anybody know Apostle Peter? Have y'all ever heard of him and his little personality? Have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul and his little personality? These guys weren't all carbon copies of each other and not in any way a carbon copy of the personality of Christ. They had their own distinct personality, but God used them. And I've known of people, and I feel like I fall into this bracket myself, and sometimes God uses people in spite of themselves. So there's no wrong or right personality for ministry, and I, I would to God everybody can understand that. Get over your idea of inferiority or lack of self-esteem or on an ego trip and too much pride. It can be anything. Anything can vex you. Any makeup or part of your personality can vex you to believe that I'm not worthy to be used by God in anything. People won't accept me. I've heard people say that. People will look at me like I'm crazy. I, you, you, any kind of excuse you can imagine. There's no wrong or right personality for ministry. We need all kinds of personalities to give the church balance and excitement. Uh, your personality will affect how and where you will use your gifts and abilities. For example, two people may have the same gift of evangelism. Watch this. Two people may have the same gift of evangelism, but if one is an introvert and the other is an extrovert, then that gifting is going to be expressed in two different ways. You don't look at the extrovert and say, boy, he's the evangelist and the introvert has got the wrong calling on his life. You don't do that. You have to understand their personality and how God can bring that out of them. I'll show you how it may work. The introvert may be kind of the behind-the-scenes guy that prepares materials for outreach. He's never in the limelight, but he does all the footwork, the behind-the-scenes work, whereas the extrovert might teach the home Bible study. So who has the gift of evangelism or not? I say they both do. Does that make sense? It just makes sense to me that we will be more successful as a church body, if each of us ministers in our strong areas of gifting, natural abilities, etc. A carpenter knows that it's easier to work with the grain of wood 
work with the grain of wood than to work against the grain of wood. In the same way, when you are, I'm going to use the word forced, please understand the context here, but in the same way when you're forced to minister out of your character, out of your temperament, it creates tension and discomfort and produces less than desired results. So this is where we want to match people up, their ministry with their ability. And, and we try real hard to do that at Grace, and I think we've had some success with that. There's another byproduct of, of trying to get people to minister in areas where they don't have any ability to do that. This is what happens. And, and, and anybody at Grace that has gone into leadership, if you have a title behind your name here at Grace, you've heard me say this. If you take on this area of leadership and responsibility, if you don't like it, if you get burnt out with it, come tell me. You can sit down or we'll move you to something else. But don't leave the church. I've seen it all of my life. Sunday school teachers that are pressured to teach that class, and the only way out they have is to discontinue membership at that church, and oftentimes they don't find another one to go to. This area is full of that. So we don't want anyone to feel pressured to do anything, and if you are doing something that doesn't work out for you, it's not working out, circumstances in your life may change. Marriage may be more demanding. Parenting may be more demanding. Work may be more demanding. Just be honest about it. But come talk to me. I'd far rather have you sitting here than not here at all. Everybody said amen. Does everybody understand? I didn't hear any response to that question. Do I need to go over that again? Does everybody understand? <laughs> Thank the Lord. <clears throat> Another reason why you need to know that your ministry is in alignment with your character and temperament, gifting, calling, and so on, is because when you try to copy someone else's ministry and you don't have their same personality and abilities and what have you, you're going to get real, real frustrated. I can promise you, if I decided that I could play the drum Sunday morning just like Chris Lewis does, so I walk up to that drum cage over here and I say, can I play for a little while? I'm going to get real frustrated, and you're going to get even more frustrated. I don't have that ability, but he does. So I'm not going to try to imitate him. You do your ministry to the best of your ability, and I'll do mine. And if everyone does, you have a church body fitly framed together, as Paul taught in the New Testament. That makes sense. So don't look at someone else and say, I want that ministry. No, don't do that. Just say, God, help me to do my ministry as well as they do their ministry. That's the posture. So we can learn from others. We can learn from others. But that lesson must be filtered through your personality. Please understand that. You can learn from other people, but what you learn from them must be filtered through your personality, your passion, your ability, in order for you, for it to become your ministry. When you minister or you're involved in a ministry in a manner that is consistent with the personality that God gave you, then that's when you begin to experience fulfillment in that ministry because you're in alignment with what God intended for your life. 
So it will feel good doing what God has called you to do. Everybody said amen. One final uh, way to find your ministry is by your experiences. You find your ministry based on your experiences. Notice very carefully, God never wastes your experiences. And there's Bible for that. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, most of you can quote it. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And to me, this is the most accurate meaning of this scripture. I hear people use it all the time. You know, uh, a tragedy can come to somebody's life and, and somebody read this scripture and say, all things work together and that person can't see it. How is this going to work together for good in my life? But in ministry, the, 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 the last phrase of that verse is the key part of it. To them who are called according to his purpose. When you're pursuing the purpose of God, when you're headed in that direction and you're doing everything you can to fulfill God's purpose in your life, then God can show you and reveal to you how that all the things that's ever happened in your life brought you to this point. God orchestrated that. He planned that. So God can use your experiences to help prepare you for ministry. I want to be real careful and, and delicate in, in what I'm about to say. But there's sometimes transgressions happen in the lives of people. They do really stupid stuff. There's premarital pregnancy. There's premarital sexual activity. There's all of those kind of things. I preached to you two Sundays ago that when Jacob had his dream and he saw that ladder, that God gave him that dream at probably the lowest point of his life. He had never been more of a creep to his family, to his brother, to anyone around him. He was a liar. And at the worst point in his life, God comes to him in the most magnificent dream given to anyone in Scripture and saw more angels at one time than anybody else in Scripture. We think, and sin does sever your relationship with God if it's not repented of, and if it continues, it will. Eventually, you lose out with God. But God is not limited when it comes to using your transgression that happened in your past as a tool to minister to someone else. I wish we could understand that. Uh, someone told me years ago, uh, a lady that was got, uh, had, had a, a, a premarital pregnancy, and she had a little girl. And she said, man, I could never teach my daughter not to do this because I did it. I looked at her like brook trout and said, that's crazy to me. If anybody can teach their daughter not to do that, you can. You're the more qualified of anybody. You've had the most experience. I believe God can use alcoholics who's converted to help other alcoholics convert. Drug addicts convert, etc. Y'all get the point? God can use your experiences, good or bad. Now, we want to be ashamed of them and should be, and we want to lock them up in the closet. 
But if God wants to retrieve something, it's not to remind you to feel ashamed. It's to remind you to feel victorious and to use that as a tool to help someone else. I'll never forget when my dad passed away in 1973. Uh, as I remember, uh, it seemed like uh, uh, Brother Curtis Young came to Baton Rouge as pastor in November of 1972. And uh, in the, essentially in the year of 1973, there were six, as I remember, there were six stalwart people in that church that died. It would have been a good time to go ahead and resign. I'm killing these people, man. I'm out of here. <clears throat> I am happy I got more smiles than I've been getting lately, so maybe I found what I needed to find here. Anyway, um, but he didn't, and he stayed, but my dad was one of them. And um, it's, I don't know. I, I have a hard time keeping track of all of this, but I know it's just a, a few months later, uh, Sister Gertrude Mitchell passed away, who was Jane Mitchell's mother. And uh, uh, Jane and I, uh, just a month or two after her mom and dad died, went out on a date. Now, this was before I was married to Sister Murphy, for any of you that's whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, we went out on one date. And it had nothing to do with romance. I lost a parent. She lost a parent. We had that in common. We went out on a date. And um, <clears throat> I remember when I took her home, we just went to a restaurant, and I took her back home, and we were sitting in the car. And um, that was my, the first ministry moment of significance that I remembered in my life. And it's, it's what started directing me and pulling me towards fulfilling the call of ministry in my life. But I looked at her, and something just came over me, and I said, I know exactly how you feel. And I've been going through this myself, as you know, and so on. But I can promise you that God has been with me every step of the way. And he's held me close. And he's been a comfort to me. And the church has been a support group. And I shared that with her. And I don't know if that was so much for her or for me. But it showed me that God used that awful tragedy in my life at 16 years old to minister to someone else. And that's really where my ministry began. So God can use even negative, hurtful experiences in your past to help you find your ministry. So I believe that God has given us our experiences, good or bad, to help others through theirs. You can look at your education, the things that drew you to your career. We have a lot of people in our church that have a college education, college degree. What drew you to that? When you see our young people being drawn into college, you could help them with that. You could help them make the right choices. You could steer them and guide them. You could be a coach. You could be a mentor. And your professional experience, what kind of profession do you have? And have you been successful in that profession? If you have, then why? Did any past experiences help you with that? There are spiritual experiences that we can talk about. What are the most meaningful times with God in your life? Have you had ministry experiences? Have you serve God in the past in, in, in a positive and productive way? And then if you had painful experiences, what kind of trials have you been through and what have you learned from them? So all of these things God can use to help you find 
of ministry. People who's had difficult marital situations. People who may have gone through a divorce. No, you don't want to advertise that and be proud of it per se. God forbid. But if you know someone else is having marital difficulties, maybe you could advise them and recommend some things that would prevent theirs from breaking apart. There's all of our experiences in our past. If we could notice them, be cognizant of them, pay attention to them, there's things that's happened in our past that we can use as a platform for ministry if we would pay attention to those things. So your experiences have helped determine where you are right now. Your past experiences has helped bring you to where you are right now. So why wouldn't you think that they can also help determine your future as well when they're properly placed in the hands of God? And then our last and final ingredient is you must desire. You've got to have a desire for ministry. I'll be honest with you, uh, and I have mixed emotions about this. I appreciate people when I ask them to do things and they do it. I appreciate that. I really, really appreciate it. But I appreciate it even that much more when I know they're just waiting to be asked because they've always had a desire to do that. Or you ask them to do it, and they do it for a while, and they realize, you know what? This is really working out great for me. It just makes ministry incredible. There are oftentimes, and I'm going to say by and large the majority of the time, the reason we're not happy is Christian people. And this is one of my Pentecostal-isms that I can go off on sometimes. Is we, most of you that's been in and around Pentecost for years, gifted you for and gave you abilities to do. You've never found it, so you're not happy. You're not satisfied. But I want to say to you tonight that you have to have a desire. As old Brother Alan Knox preached, and I'll never forget the message, and most of you have heard it. You just got to have a want to, man. And if you want to, if you want to find your ministry, if you want to find your place in the kingdom of God and to be productive and to be fruitful, if you really want to seek first the kingdom of God, then it's going to be desire-driven. Nobody can make you do that. You know, as a child, your parents can make you do things against your will because they're mom and dad and you're a kid. But when you become adult, and some of you need to start practicing that, by the way. But anyway, but when you become an adult, 